Today on Blue 58, the Packers again won shorthanded, taking down the Washington football team on their way to a 6-1 and record. But with the undefeated Arizona Cardinals looming, what do we really know about the Packers? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here as always, especially after another Packers win. Count them, six in a row, one, two, three, four, five, and six as the Packers take down the Washington football team 24-10. to 10. Overall, uh, in the box score, it's going to look like a pretty easy win. Was it closer than it looked? Probably a little bit. There's some weirdness going on in the red zone for the Washington football team. But really, as we've said all year, um, no style points in the box score. Uh, the Packers handled Washington. Uh, they weathered the storm, I guess you could say, in some senses. They slowed them down when they had to. They made plays when they had to. And they forced Washington into mistakes when they had to. But still looking at this game, I'm still left wondering a little bit what we saw. And I guess it reminds me, and really the Packers season as a whole so far reminds me of 2019. That year, Matt LaFleur's first at the helm for the Packers. I don't think the team really had an identity. Week in, week out, it was not really clear what you were going to get because they were still kind of building who they were as a program. And as a result, you saw a lot of inconsistency. Inconsistency in effort, inconsistency in execution. And in just about every game, there were long stretches where it didn't seem like anything was happening or like the team was just bogged down. You see a little bit of that this year, but it's different for, I think, pretty obvious reasons. They're having weird games week in and week out, strange games uh, from a not necessarily result standpoint, but just kind of a process standpoint, weird things going on. But I think we understand why. The Packers aren't playing with full deck right now. And to me, this is the first game where it's really felt like that mattered. Like the Packers very clearly were not playing at full strength in this game. And yet they still managed to win. And that is the phrase that kind of keeps coming back into my mind as I try, not that I'm trying, but as any part of me even skews a little bit negative. And yet they still won. And they've won six times now in seven games. And I feel good about winning ugly for a couple of reasons. First, it's important to stack those wins now because things are going to get tougher here in the pretty close to the back half of the schedule. That's something we got to keep in mind here. Next week is going to be eight games down. That'll put them uh, almost to the halfway point with 17 games on the on the schedule now. But we're getting real close to starting to really start to have to look ahead to the playoffs and heading towards that halfway point with six wins already in your pocket is a pretty darn good place to be. But I also feel good about what's coming on the Packers roster. And what's coming is reinforcements. Josh Myers, David Bakhtiari, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jair Alexander possibly, Preston Smith certainly. The Packers are going to get healthier. So while they might be, I don't even want to say winning ugly now, just winning suboptimally, maybe. Winning without playing to their full potential because they can't play to their full potential right now. Let's, let's go with that. 
I think that this team is going to have some real growth. I'm not entirely sure what this team grows into yet because their identity is is a little bit of a, a mystery because they haven't had everybody together yet this year. What are they then? I don't know if we really know, but I'm confident there is growth ahead. There pretty much has to be. But for right now, a win against a team pretty well positioned to take advantage of some weaknesses the Packers do have. Six wins on the season. And better fortunes with increased health on the horizon. Not a lot to really complain about there. Sure, it could have been prettier. Sure, if Washington is a little sharper in the red zone, maybe we're looking at a different outcome. Here, at least, at the very least, a um, a more hotly contested outcome, let's say that. Sure, this is another game you could chalk up to the Packers playing against a average NFL quarterback on the on the positive side. But still, it's a sixth win. And six and one counts for something, no matter how you got to that point. Let's talk about the good stuff from today. First and foremost, red zone defense. Yep, it's kind of the storyline coming out of this game. But still, four trips to the red zone for Washington, three points. Three outright stops for the Packers, one field goal, a couple turnovers on downs, one outright turnover with the Packers getting an interception in the end zone on a beautiful play by Chandon Sullivan. Hey, not a lot to complain about there. Sure, again, you have the caveat of a quarterback who maybe is not quite so sharp. Sure, you can thank that quarterback. Really not, I don't want to say understanding the rule because I think everybody understands the giving yourself up rule. Maybe not executing uh, that rule to perfection uh, when he was marked short on the kind of ill-fated dive for the end zone. Sure, you can blame that on Heineke. You definitely can. But the Packers stopped him on the next down. They had stopped him on two downs prior to that when he came up short on third and whatever it was. They got stops in the red zone. Again, not always pretty. But returning to our refrain for this season, there are no style points in the box score. Another really good thing that happened today was uh, Robert Tanyan sort of re-emerging, maybe re-engaging reintegrating are better terms there, but he just seemed more active in this game than we've seen to the, this point in the season so far. More engaged, uh, more movement in general, more targets, finishes with four catches for 63 yards and a touchdown. And I think that touchdown was a perfect, perfect example, or a perfect reminder maybe, of what he offered to the team last year. The alignment made it likely that the Packers are going to score there. How they were aligned, there was uh, Greg Olson, the the color guy for Fox today, uh, called it uh, a banjo situation. I'm not really sure exactly what that means. But basically, the Packers could clearly see that the the Washington football team had two defenders covering uh, two offensive players, a man-to-man situation where Robert Tunyon, has clear space to move to the outside. The cornerback is not trying to give up inside leverage, so Tunyon knows that he can move to the outside pretty freely. So all he has to do is just set up the corner so that by the time he makes the move to the outside, there's nothing that he can do to react and stop it. 
And he does that. The size, the athleticism, the route running ability makes that all reality, going from a play being likely to a play actually playing out. It's just what we saw week in and week out from Tunyon last year, and it was great to see it again from him this year. Third thing I wanted to talk about that was good was just the Alan Lazard drive. Alan Lazard in general had a great game today, yesterday, I guess, as I'm recording this, but the Packers' last drive before the half really showed what Lazard can bring to this team and why he's a really valuable piece to what Matt LaFleur wants to do and what the Packers want to do. Versatility is Alan Lazard's game. And on that fourth drive of the game, we got to see a ton of versatility from Mr. Lazard. 2.58 to go before the half when the Packers take over. Lazard racks up five catches, including the touchdown, each one of those catches different in its own way. First one's a comeback route uh, along the sideline. Second, a quick out in an empty set. Uh, Third, he works open uh, as Aaron Rodgers' first option, which appeared to be Randall Cobb, uh, was covered. So Lazard works himself open and makes a nice catch from from Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Fourth catch, the Packers set up a screenplay for Alan Lazard, which is a little bit weird because screen passes aren't really his game. He's a big long-striding guy who needs a lot of runway before he can get up to full speed. That's really not an ideal screen pass sort of player. He's not really a short area quickness type guy. But the Packers set up a screen, blocked it well, and there goes Lazard barreling down the sideline uh, looking for defensive backs to run over. And finally, uh, Lazard scores on his fifth catch on the uh, the back shoulder touchdown out of not really the slot, but the middle receiver and a three-wide receiver set to the right side. Thing of beauty. Uh, using that size, using uh, his, his solid hands uh, to pick that one right out of the air uh, and fend off a defensive back as he comes down. Hey, lot to like there. And again, it just shows his versatility and what he can bring to the Packers. You know, he's not the, the deep speed guy that Marquez Valdez-Scantling is, but nobody's asking him to be. And I think that's something that we need to remember. Even as this offense, I think, is obviously hurting without Marquez Valdez-Scantling, you still have a lot of versatile pieces there. And with the right approach and the right execution, there are ways to win without just having that physical dominance. But it comes with playing to what these guys can do well. And that was something, you know, as we sit here, closing in on 500 episodes that I feel like we ranted uh, about with uh, Mike McCarthy for a few hundred episodes. I think there's a lot to like, you know, in retrospect about Mike McCarthy. You know, I'm probably a bigger McCarthy fan than most. But one thing that I think everyone can agree on in terms of a very legitimate criticism of McCarthy was that his offense, or at least the way that he deployed his offense, was quite rigid. He had well-defined roles that he wanted to fill on offenses and and really well-defined ways that he wanted players to fill those roles. And he didn't do a good job of positioning guys to succeed based on their skill sets. It was all about McCarthy's pretty rigid offense. How could you fit into that? And if you didn't fit in, you didn't get the ball or get on the field, or get on the the roster, I guess, for that matter. And I don't know how a guy like Alan Lazard would have ultimately panned out in a situation like that. 
But Matt LaFleur does a good job, a really good job, of maximizing guys' individual skill sets. And he positions guys in a way that uh, they can really take advantage of what they do well. And Lazard does a lot of things really well. There are things that he doesn't do as well. To be sure, there are things that everybody struggles with. No, com- no player is a 100 co- 100% complete player. Who knows how close Lazard is to that 100% mark. But the things he can do, he does really well. He blocks really well. He uses his size really well. Uh, and he has an increasingly good feel for, I guess, the more soft skills that come with being a, a, an NFL wide receiver. And that's why I think uh, that third catch on that drive is is probably the most impressive of those five, other than, I guess, put the put the touchdown right up there with there. Uh, but Lazard worked himself open, and that's an advanced receiver skill. Finding the soft spot in a zone, losing a defender outside of the structure of a play, that's advanced stuff, and Lazard showed that he could do that today. Of course, it wasn't all good stuff for the Packers today, and we've got to talk about some of the less positive attributes here. First one, the run game. couple complaints here. First, I don't think the Packers turned to the run often enough. I think they were too content to try to run play action pass, uh, just pass in general, go empty set. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, they didn't commit to running the ball really enough. And as often as Washington tried to only rush four players, even though when the Packers were not in empty sets, the Packers didn't really try to slow down that pass rush with the, with the run game at all. But even when the Packers did use the run, it was ineffective. Aaron Jones, six carries, 19 yards. A.J. Dillon, three carries, six yards. Kylan Hill, three carries, two yards. Got to be better than that. And I'm left wondering if Josh Myers has a bit of an effect there or if the Packers are just playing against some good defenses. Last couple of weeks, they've, they've played solid fronts there. I think you have to have to wonder there. Uh, the second bad point here, and this is this is some tough grading here for me, but I got to see the pass rush here. Uh, this is a good opportunity again to talk about sacks versus pressure. We talked about this pregame uh, when we talked about Montez Sweat versus Rashawn Gary. Sweat gets more of the finishing stats, uh, quarterback hits, sacks, things like that, but Gary has always beaten him in terms of pressure. He gets pressure more regularly than Sweat does. But in general, and I guess not including today because Gary comes up with two sacks, uh, Gary just doesn't finish as often. He hurries the quarterback, but he doesn't sack or hit the quarterback as often. In general, the Packers, I think, struggled to finish today. Now, I say that knowing that they had four sacks and nine quarterback hits, but it didn't seem like they were consistently getting pressure before Washington had no choice but to pass. Once you're up 21 to 7 or 24 to 10, Washington's got to throw to get back in the game. And at that point, I think the Packers were, were getting pressure a little bit more regularly, and they racked up a couple of the sacks and a few of those hits pretty late. But when it was a, a pretty neutral game situation, it felt like the Packers just couldn't get to Heineke regularly. And when they did, uh, he was shaking out of their grasp however he could. 
got to be a little bit more consistent with the pass rush. Finally, a small complaint, or maybe a pointed complaint, about something that has been frustrating the last couple of weeks. The Packers have continued to rely on empty sets. You know, five wide receivers or four wide receivers or three wide receivers, a tight end and a running back, and nobody in the backfield. They have relied on that the last couple of weeks quite extensively. And both the Bears and Washington have been able to take advantage. Two sacks today on empty sets. And you got to wonder why here. I think Matt LaFleur does have a bit of a tendency to overthink things sometimes. Sometimes he does get too clever by half. And I think going empty on a week where you're without Josh Myers, where you're still without David Bakhtiari, and you're going against a defensive front the likes of, well, that includes four first-round picks who are all, by and large, playing pretty close to their billing in the first round. That doesn't seem like the opportunity or at least an ideal situation, to say, hey, we're going to ask you guys to by and large block these fellas one-on-one. You cool with that? Because it seemed like on a couple occasions there, the Packers' offensive line was not super cool with that. So a little less empty, please, going forward, if you don't mind, Matt LaFleur. More to the point, though. What does this game mean for the Packers? Sure, it's great to get a win, but what do we mean here? First, got to start simple with that win. Six and one. Stacking those wins for later. As for what else, though, I don't know. That's the short answer. The longer answer is I don't know, and here's why. I'm not sure what this game means because I'm not sure what we're learning about the Packers in these games. This is the third game in a row, dating back to the Steelers. Uh, including the Bears last week and now this week, where I don't think we've really learned anything about the Packers once the final whistle blows. We're not left with, oh, the Packers can do this now, or, well, here are some things the Packers really need to work on once the game is older, over. Because the Packers are kind of in a holding pattern. And I think that's okay, but it also leaves us in a position where we don't really know what we've got. And sooner or later the Packers are going to need to figure out what it is that they are. We need to know what that is, and so do they. And I don't know if we're going to get that answer anytime soon. At least not a comprehensive answer. Maybe a comprehensive answer never never comes. But we're going to get some answers here pretty quick. Because up next is the undefeated Arizona, Arizona Cardinals. They beat Houston today, sitting at 7-0. They've got Kyler Murray as an MVP candidate at quarterback, and he is going to be significantly better, I think, than anybody the Packers have faced so far. And if the Packers are a bit inconsistent on defense to this point, I have to imagine they're going to look a little bit more inconsistent when they're playing a quarterback who can execute at a higher level than anybody they've faced so far. That game will be Thursday night, so the next time you hear from us, we will be previewing that game. Coming quick. Quick turnaround here, and uh, it'll be fun to see what the Packers can do against a real, I don't know if we can say contender yet, but against one of the teams that is the among the highest achieving in the NFC so far this season. Let's clear clear out the notebook here and uh, send you off 
into your Monday, whenever that may be. It's almost 1 a.m. here. That's fine. Fun to record late at night sometimes. Um, just how things work out when you got an infant in the house sometimes. Um, but I'm excited for, um, for you, wherever you are, as you listen to this, uh, you get to relive a fun and creative and unusual sort of game while getting excited for another game that's, you know, just on, just on the horizon there. So let's clear out uh, a couple nuggets here and then send you off into your Monday. Starting with some talk about the refs. I would totally understand, though I think there are some other calls that went the other way, that if you were a Washington football team fan and you thought the refs had it out for you today, I would totally hear where you're coming from. You've got Darnell Savage with the naked eye, not recovering a fumble, being awarded the football for the Packers. Got it right on review. Shouldn't have had to review it. You've got Corey Bajorquez apparently hitting the end line with the punt, and the refs just a couple minutes later coming back and saying, actually, no, he didn't. Almost seeming like, that was just pretty cool. we got to give it to him. Just the general capriciousness of the officiating leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. And we've we've talked about this. We talked about officiating uh, on the podcast. I think it came out on Wednesday. Why it is so inconsistent and bad across the league. And, you know, there is a lot to the officiating that is out of the officials' control, our perception of them and, and things like that. There's a lot of what goes into that that they really have nothing to do with. But it's weird week in and week out to be sitting here at home or wherever you prefer to consume Packers games, just kind of wondering what the officiating is going to be like. It's just so inconsistent and so so many rules are so differently interpreted week in and week out that it's hard to have confidence in the product you're seeing on the field. And I think that's got to be frustrating for the NFL, but the NFL also doesn't seem to care to fix it. And I don't know why. Boggles the mind. Maybe they think it's a good conversation to have people up in arms about the refs. That would seem like a headache for me, but um, the NFL is going to do what the NFL is going to do. It was a game of near misses today for both Darnell Savage and Jalen Smith. Uh, Smith missed a sack by a hair. Darnell Savage missed a pick, also missed that fumble recovery, though the refs did try to award it to him, as we just discussed. Sometimes that's just how it goes. And we talked about things maybe turning out a little bit different if Washington could uh, could have executed a little bit better in the red zone. That is true. It's also true they may not have had those opportunities at all if the Packers had executed slightly differently, slightly better, at a couple points. And those plays by Savage and Smith are just a couple examples. Uh, Greg Olson, we don't talk about the officiating, not the officiating, the announcers as much as we used to, but Greg Olson had a bunch of, or a couple of really interesting quotes. First, talking about getting your eye poked during a game. Quote, it's like your eyeball is going to fall out of your face mask, end quote. Thank you for that, Greg. A very vivid. But also, he kept talking about the Packers' defense being a top five unit in the NFL. That is not the case. The Packers did come into this game top five in the league in yards allowed. But a couple things on that. First, that is the only real area where they are near the top of any defensive ranking. And second, it's a really terrible way to measure the defense. Because even if you're not giving up a ton of yards, you can still give up a a bunch of points. And if you're giving up red zone touchdowns every time the 
the opponent gets down there, well, it doesn't really matter how many yards you're giving up, does it? If they're just getting into the end zone, no matter how long it takes them to get there. But they held Washington to 10 points today, too. So maybe Greg is on to something. Whitney Merciless, showing up on defense for the first time, did not record a stat today, though I don't have complete pressure numbers on some of the more advanced metrics yet. Uh, did not record a counting stat. No sacks, no tackles, no quarterback hits, no other plays, but he also didn't play all that much. But, but, lots of people are talking about his impact already in the building. Rashawn Gary, speaking after the game today, was one of them. He sounds like he is a real big fan of what Merciless can bring to the team. Just him having that experience, you, the experience is number one, man. Just, you know, coming off, you know, sometimes he's like, yeah, he's giving me this, he's giving me this. And I go with Mr. Tackle, he's giving me the same thing. So I already, you know, we're going back and forth, you know, just communicating. So, you know, just having that experience and just, you know, a guy just willing to share his information has been great. I think experience is one of those things that can be a little bit overrated, but it's not nothing either. And it's not like Rashawn Gary is getting valuable scouting information from Jonathan Garvin on the sideline. He just doesn't have that experience that Whitney Merciless has. So there's a positive addition for the Packers already. I don't spend a lot of time feeling bad for opposing players, but it's hard to not feel bad for Chris Blewett today. Long journey to the NFL, including, as mentioned on the broadcast, some time spent at Home Depot. Look, a fine place to work. But if you think you can play in the NFL, it's got to be torched to play to work at a place like uh, like Home Depot when you think you could be playing on Sundays. And so finally, he gets a chance to kick in a real NFL game. And what happens on his first ever NFL field goal attempt? T.J. Slayton sticks his big old hand in the way and blocks it. Times the breaks, man. Kingsley Keekly, Kiki and Dean Lowry both had interesting statistical milestones today. Kiki. According to the box score as of right now, had a one and a half sack afternoon, which is technically a multi-sack game, which means he now has three multi-sack games in his career and only one game where he records a single sack. Meanwhile, Dean Lowry now has three consecutive games with at least a partial sack after he recorded half of a sack today. Aaron Jones finished with just 19 yards on six carries. That is only the fourth time in his career where he had fewer than 20 yards on six or more carries. Now, digging into his personal record books a little bit, I did find a a similar game in 2019 where he had 10 carries for 19 yards, but also two touchdowns against Denver. Pretty early there in the Matt LaFleur tenure, uh, but just one of those weird outlier games where Every part of the box score but one looks pretty boring. Speaking of boring but effective, Mercedes Lewis. Now, I think it's anything but boring when Mercedes Lewis gets the ball because it looks like people are going to be physically injured every time they try to take him on. I certainly want to, wouldn't want to be in his way. But after today's game, Lewis is averaging 11.1 yards per catch during his time in Green Bay. Why do I point that out? Well, Jimmy Graham, the supposed big play tight end, only averaged 11.6 yards per catch. And I think that's pretty funny that uh, Mercedes Lewis, who runs like he's carrying a piano, only averaged half a yard less than Jimmy Graham in their respective times in Green Bay. Less exciting was A.J. Dillon's day. We only have data from this from Pro Football Reference going back to 1990. But even in that 31-year span, His day today may have been historically bad for the Packers. He is 
from what I was able to uncover, the first non-quarterback to have four or more touches while producing eight or fewer yards from scrimmage and fumbling twice. Brett Favre and Craig Knoll are the only other players to do that. Yikes. Finally, let's conclude with this. Eric Stokes, playing a bigger role than I think we would have anticipated for him to this point in the season, may have provided the turning point of the game. Fourth and three, about three minutes to go before the half, he battled Terry McLaurin for an incompletion, giving the Packers the ball deep in their own territory with about 2.58 to go. Packers go down and score, making it 14-7. That is the Alan Lazard drive there. Washington gets the ball back after that, but has to kneel out the clock because there is so little time left. Next drive for Washington, the first after the half. Heineke gets strip-sacked. Packers go down and score 21-7. It's basically academic from there. And you have to wonder how things shake out if Washington is able to convert against Eric Stokes there just before the half. I wonder how Washington works in the red zone if they are able to score before the half and not the Packers. How does the game go if Washington is down 21-14 to on their next trip into the red zone? Do they still go for it when they don't necessarily have to? Or, if they're trailing 21-7, to do they go for a field goal? Or 21-14, to do they go for a field goal and make it 21-17? Another field goal makes it 21-20? Even if the Packers still get to 24, what, are the, what does Washington do in that scenario? It's interesting to kind of play out those counterfactuals sometimes and see how things could sort out slightly differently if just uh, some smaller things are changed. It did play out this way, though. And it played out in such a way that left the Packers with their sixth win of the season. Great place to be, about as good as you can be, especially after that week one meltdown in Jacksonville, which seems like a lifetime ago at this point. We will be back with you in just a couple days to preview what could be the Packers' toughest test of the season. But in the meantime, that's all I've got for you on this episode. I appreciate you listening in. Hope you've enjoyed what we've had from these Packers so far this season. I know I have. It's been an interesting ride so far, and I'm excited to see what the uh, the weeks ahead hold. If you enjoyed this episode, I, I would really appreciate it a lot if you share it with somebody else you think would enjoy it too. It's going to help more people find the show, get more people involved in this conversation we're having around the Packers, and ultimately help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And that's great because, as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.